Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsradio.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies, 1500 AM and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. Well, lots of stuff going on. Amazon is now banning shoppers who return too many products. So it's not exactly... We knew that was coming. Yeah, it's not exactly a free return zone. Samsung uh, lost in court. They got to pay Apple over $500 million. DOJ is looking at cryptocurrency manipulation. This is one of the things that I've talked about. This is why I'm not a big investor in cryptocurrencies, actually. And malware mining continues to be one of the dominant threats. And uh, this last uh, month, the EM drive, which was this magical drive that NASA had tested and they thought it might produce thrust without using any fuel, has turned out not to actually work when they had a second test. So I'll talk a bit about the EM drive. It just seemed too good to be true because it violated some fundamental laws of physics. This week we're going to feature one of the fathers of the global positioning system, Bradford Parkinson. It has many fathers, actually. There are three fathers of the GPS because it's such a big system. Well, and it's triangulation, so it, three guys, oh, it makes sense, exactly. right? Exactly. It makes perfect sense. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. I'm glad he got the message. Oh, come to he work. certainly did. We got an email from Susan in Alexandria. Hi, Dr. Shirts. What's the story behind the FBI advice to reboot all routers temporarily to stop the Russian hackers. I did the reboot, but now the latest advice seems to suggest to do a factory reset and changing the default password. My family thoroughly enjoys your entertaining and informative show, Susan, in Alexandria. So they gather around the fireplace? They gather around the fireplace Even in the and listen to Tech Talk. And, you know, now that it's on, you know, a podcast, they can actually play it, uh, you know, play it nonstop. When, the they, when, when they go on vacation, yeah, you can have a, you can have a Tech Talk week. <laughs> well, um, Susan, there is a new threat that targets routers and network ad- attached storage devices. It's capable of knocking out the infected device by rendering them unusable. The malware is known as VPN filter. It's unlike most other Internet of Things threats because it's capable of maintaining a persistent presence on the infected device even after reboot. VPN filter has a range of capabilities, including spying on the traffic routed through your device. Its creators have particular interest in SCADA devices. These are supervisory control and data acquisition devices. These actually are used to control industrial systems over the Internet. Things like power grids, things like water supply systems, things like dams. And they were... And this particular device was created specifically to intercept 
communication from the Modbus SCADA device. Now, new research from the Cisco Research Labs shows that this malware activity around this malware stepped up in recent weeks, and attackers appear to be particularly interested in targets in Ukraine. See, there's a little history to this. Remember when Russia brought down the Ukraine power grid a while ago? That was actually a test case where the Russians were testing whether they could penetrate a power grid and bring it down. And now it looks like they're running another test take case again in, uh, in the Ukraine. Well, the VPN filter has spread widely. Data from semantics, honeypots, and sensors indicate that it's unlike any threats. It's not a threat like the Mirai vi- virus, which was, which was like spreading on its own. This doesn't spread that way. It's just targeted very specifically for these devices. So what they're actually trying to do is get on routers that are connected to industrial control systems and get the passwords to those SCADA devices. They're testing it out in Ukraine, and you know for a fact they're trying to test it out in the U.S. So if there's ever any sort of conflict, they can bring down our power grid. That's the deal. This is part of cyber warfare. To date, the VPN filter has, 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 been, has, been, has been infecting enterprise and small office home routers, and it's a number of routers. It's a, it's like three or four routers from Linksys, a, a few routers from Microtech, about six routers from Netgear, one router from TP-Link, three routers from QNAP. So it's not, it's probably only, of all the routers out on the market, it's probably only 10% of the routers, but it does affect those routers. Now, and it especially affects devices that haven't been patched and devices that where people didn't change the password, they're still leaving the default password on the on the system, and they they can basically get into it. Now it's a multi-stage malware. Stage one is the persistent piece, and once stage one is there, it connects to a command and control server, and it downloads stage two. Now stage two is the main payload, and it's capable of file collection, command and control, data ex- execution. Um, device management. It also has a destructive capability can brick the device. Now you can also download stage three, and that's like a plug-in for stage two, and that includes a packet sniffer for spying on traffic that's routed through the, through the device. This would be this stage three module is what they'd use to sniff out the credentials of the Modbus scattered protocols when they're if they're trying to find a way to get into the infrastructure. That's what's going on now. So when you reboot the device, it clears out stage two and stage three, but stage one is still there, the persistent piece. And stage one can then go back on to the network, log back in, and can download stage two and stage three. Now the reason the FBI is saying just reboot it is because the FBI detected where they were downloading Stage 2 and Stage 3 from, and they took over that domain name. So now, if you have a persistent piece in your router and you try to download Stage 2 or Stage 3, you're actually going to the FBI, and the FBI is not sending back anything. So the FBI is saying, if you just reboot it, it's more or less going to take care of it. But if you want to get rid of Stage 1, you actually have to reset your router, which means you have to hold down the reset button for probably five to ten seconds, and then after it's reset to the factory defaults, you've got to enter in all of your credential information, your passwords, and everything else. So you got to reconfigure the whole router, which is not really a bad idea, and that gets rid of the stage one. And now all the manufacturers are recommending that you also update to the latest firmware 
and make certain that you change the credentials on the router so you don't have the default credentials. Now, I went to my, I've got um, Fios, I've got a um, Fios, you know, wireless router, and I can't, I cannot actually, um, I, I was going in there to try to see, see whether I could up, update the firmware, and that, you know, Fios has got this thing under, pretty under, tightly under control. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm hoping that there's not, uh, not an issue there. I did reboot my router. But that's what's going on, and uh, the reason I give such a complete explanation is that nobody quite knows what's happening here. Chances are, you know, if you've got, if you're infected, nothing's going to happen to you because you don't have any SCADA devices at your house. They're trying to go after the the routers that are connected to the infrastructure. So this is this is Russians have been doing this for quite a while. They're trying to penetrate our infrastructure, and and if there's any kind of conflict, boom, they're they're, they're going to try to turn it off. So this is a real and and a real legitimate threat that the government's been worried about. We got an email from Carl uh, Tyler. Uh, no, we got an email from Tom Shum. Tom Shum, D dear Tech Talk. I was listening this morning when you described 4K TV as having 4,000 pixels in the vertical direction. I looked at the specs at this TV. It only has half as many. The product description says UHD, ultra-high-definition. Ultra high it's 3840 by 2160 OLED display. It only has 2160 pixels in the vertical direction. Is there some sort of fraud here? On the other hand, are they right that the 4K TV has 2160 pixels in the vertical direction, Tom Shum? Well, Tom, actually, I made a mistake. Uh, it's really 4,000 pixels in the horizontal direction uh, rather than the vertical direction. It turns out that the that the 4K that the 1K standard, the, the traditional HD standard, has a 1080 pixels in the vertical direction. So, so they decided to uh, you know specify the vertical direction for the uh, for the HD, and then when they went to the uh, to the higher resolution. For marketing purposes, they changed the definition. They said, well, let's just say it's 4,000 in the horizontal direction, so it looks like a bigger jump, but actually it's not. So so the fact is the 4K is a, um, 4K is a professional video production and cinema definition. The official 4K has 4,096 pixels in the horizontal direction and 2,160 lines in the vertical direction. But the trouble is that broadcast quality 4K has the wrong aspect ratio. So to bring it down to an aspect ratio that matches consumer television sets, which is they're, they're, they're trying to match this aspect ratio of, of 9 by 16, they actually adjusted it slightly, and so it only has 3840 pixels in the horizontal direction, not quite 4K, but it still has 2160 lines in the vertical direction. And they couldn't call that 4K, so they call it Ultra HD. So Ultra HD has a slightly fewer pixels in the horizontal direction to get the aspect ratio right, but then people just interchange 4K and Ultra HD, and I have to say, Tom, I made a mistake when I talked about that last time, and I'm glad you caught it. We got an email from Ken in Maryland. Dr. Schertz, nice job in doing pre-recorded and broadcasting older shows like new ones. <laughs> I listened to a lot of radio over the years, and have never seen it done this way. Dead giveaway when when you don't, we don't have an answer to the to the uh, right. to the pop quiz. 
Last week, I think I had the answer. Chief Lizard Wrangler. That Ken was in correct. Maryland. Maybe we should do that after we've done a best That's of show. Right. We should go. We should go through the. The you remember that when you think a quiz reader a little and the, and the teacher would have you self check yeah, it. That, we could do that. You can self check your pop quiz. We could certainly do that. You know, Ken, you are really an observant listener, and the credit for this clever method of broadcasting can all be given to the guy on the other side of the counter there, Jim. He's Why, done that you. all. Thank you. Now we got, oh, Tom Shum sent another email. Dear Tech Talk, if quantum computers computers can quickly break any encryption and security on the, and it won't the, the, any security that the cloud is completely dependent on, it seems to me that the cloud is on its way out and we're headed back to a secure air gap in the house kind of system for data storage. Am I missing something? Tom Shum. Well, Tom, if quantum computers become a reality, and it's not they're not here yet, but they're coming along fast, the Internet security will be broken. In particular, the public-private key system will not be secure. These public-private key systems rely on the fact that there's a hidden subgroup problem. You, you, you multiply, you basically multiply the, um, you know, the secret message by a big number. And if you don't, don't know what the big number is, you can't extract out the secret message. And trying to do that extraction is, is called a hidden subgroup problem. Now, it turns out that uh, experts predict that quantum computers, when they're up and running, they'll be able to solve the hidden subgroup problem in no time. And that means that the public-private key system will be broken. Now, you see, the traditional computers just manipulate zeros and ones, whereas... Uh, Quantum computers manipulate qubits that can exist between 0 and 1 and all points in between, and so they can do multiple, essentially multiple processing in parallel, and they can speed through problems very quickly. This makes quantum computers millions of times more powerful than computers that, that, are, that, are, that, that were used to create the encryption algorithms. Our only hope is to come up with a new encryption standard. There is a research group called the Post-Quantum Cryptography Group. It includes 11 universities and companies, and they're trying to come up with new ways of encrypting data without the use of the hidden subgroup problem. They don't have an answer yet, but they hope that they will because everybody's expecting the quantum computer to hit the streets running in 2025. So we better have a problem in 2025 or Internet security going to be dead. Great observation, Tom. We got an email from Dave in Everett, Washington. Hello, Tech Talk. I'm a big fan of your show and listen to your podcast. I was very proud of myself for cutting the cord to, because of my very high cable television rates. I tried uh, many of the alternative platforms to, uh, to include Sling TV, Chromecast, and others. Once I was comfortable with my platform... I uh, I cut the cord, and I uh, just got internet only. Now my internet data provider just hit me with a huge price increase due to my high data usage. Apparently, unlimited data is not really unlimited, and they've increased my internet rates for data to $100 per month. This put me back almost to where I was, what I was paying when I had that cable TV package. I'm hooked on high-definition TV, so going back to standard definition to e increase data usage would be a sacrifice for me. My question is, what are my options for unlimited data to accommodate the use of these other platforms? I do use some over-the-air broadcasts, but many networks are not available. Any advice would be really good to know. 
Well, it came to the right place. Dave, I I checked uh, your carriers in Everett, Washington. You only have two ISPs, and they look like local ISPs. You don't have any. You don't have AT and T there. You don't have Verizon FiOS. So you've got a distinct lack of competition, and competition is your only solution. Now, in my case, in Washington, we've got many ISPs. We've got you know we've got a lot of ones to work with. I was using Ver- uh, FiOS. But here was the trick that I did with, with the Verizon Fios. If I would have just taken their data package, they would have charged me $95 a month. But what I did, when I converted the data only, I didn't take the contract. I took month by month. And then I logged back on, and they offered me, they said, if you get a two-year contract, we'll give you $35 a month discount. So I took a two-year contract, with my online subscription, and I got it for $60 a month, plus Verizon sent me a $100 gift card, and they treated me like a new customer. So the trick is you've got to always be a new customer. So at least you've got two carriers in your area. What I would do would be to go to the other carrier, become a new customer, and get the new customer discount for a couple of years. When that expires, go back to the first carrier and get the... And get the new customer, uh, and get the new customer um, discount. That's that is one option that uh, that I think you could do. You also could do. You also could look at um, Directv. With Directv now, with Directv now, uh, the you, if and then if you use Directv now as your as your internet service prov- as your uh, as your uh, system, it turns out that Directv does not count that data. You know they're they're basically excluding that data, so you may be able to actually bypass the data cap if you use Directv as and then get Directv now. And Directv may it might give you another option in your area. It's it's not quite as much uh, internet speed bandwidth. It, the bandwidth is a little bit less, but the data cap is higher. And you and for and for TV you don't need a super high, you don't need super high bandwidth actually. So I, that may be another option. And then the, uh, you know, uh, that's, uh, I, I think these are probably my two best options you can get. And, of course, the more over-the-air television you use, the, the better you can get. Now, what I did to get as many stations as possible over the air, I put a really big antenna in my attic so I can pick up all the Washington stations as well as the Baltimore stations. So if I count all the sub-channels and all the other channels, I'm getting about 40 stations over the air. But, of course, I don't get the cable news, which I, which I like to watch. So so I'm sort of doing with that combination and then treating uh, treating myself as a new customer. Now, what I'll do with, with Verizon when my two-year contract is up, I'll go month to month, and I'll wait a, I'll wait a couple of months, and then I'll sign up again for another two-year contract. They'll give me the discount. Uh, they'll treat me as a new customer. That's the trick you got to play Not with bad. these guys. Yeah. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at strat. Oh, one more thing. If, yeah. One more thing is that if you want to check which which uh, which uh, radio which television stations are in your area, that's what I did. I used a couple of apps on my cell phone. I there was a t. I, I downloaded an app called TV Towers. I downloaded another app called Watch Free TV and another app called Antenna Point, and that tells me exactly where all the antennas are and how far they are. So I could figure out how big of an antenna I would have to get, and I needed a big antenna because my whole my house is kind of down in a depression, and so my antenna is not that high, and so I needed some super big antenna to pull it in. But 
after I figured that out, I got right through it. Well, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you immediately if it's an emergency or certainly at the next show. Tech emergency. Yes. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio. This is Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 820, uh, rather 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for 2018. Classes start January 8th with career-focused IT degree programs to fit your busy schedule on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in one of today's most sought-after fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster. Register today at stratford.edu slash 2018. That's stratford.edu slash 2018, where you'll also find details on Stratford's limited-time $15,000 IT scholarship competition to help you achieve your degree goals. Get complete information now at stratford.edu slash 2018. Stratford University, changing lives one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Bradford Parkinson. Bradford Parkinson is a U.S. Air Force colonel best known as one of the fathers of the global positioning system, along with Roger Easton and Ivan Getting. Bradford Parkinson was born in Madison, Wisconsin, February 6, 1935. He attended Breck School. That was an all-boys prep school, and he graduated in 1957. He then attended the Naval Academy, graduating in 1950. No, graduated in 1952 from the prep school. Then he went to the Naval Academy and graduated in 1957 with a bachelor's in engineering. Parkinson discovered that he had a deep interest in controls and engineering uh, while he was at the Naval Academy. Now, unfortunately, that was not a research focus at the Navy at the time. It turned out that one of his instructors was an Air Force officer at the Naval Academy. And the Air Force officer says, well, you know, son... (laughs) <laughs> if you're really interested in control engineering, why don't you just switch to the Air Force? <laughs> so his instructor at the Naval Academy recruited him for the Air Force. Uh, so after he graduated, uh, after he graduated from the Naval Academy, he had he had a certain obligation. So he served two years as Chief Communication Electronic Officers in an early warning station in Southeast Asia. Uh, then, uh, well, actually, he was in the Air Force then. Yeah, he, he joined the Air Force to send him to Southeast Asia uh, in an early warning station job. And then uh, the, the thing that the Air Force does, they, they send their, their officers to graduate school. So they sent him to MIT, and he studied control engineering, inertial guidance, and electrical engineering. He got a Master's of Science in Aeronautics in 1961. 
Then they assigned him to work in the Central Inertial Guidance Test Facility at Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico. Now, he continued to study inertial guidance and electrical control systems, gaining a deep understanding of both the theory and the application in the battlefield. After three years, Parkinson was assigned to the Ph.D. program at Stanford, where he just topped off his research in control systems. Then they said, uh, son, we want you to really test how these control systems work in the battlefield. So they sent him to Vietnam in 1961-1969, after he finished his Ph.D. His assignment was to improve the AC-130 Spectre gunship and to understand how technology performed in the battlefield. He logged more than 170 hours of combat missions. Wow. I mean, he's checking out these control systems real time. In 1973... After he, uh, after he uh, came back from Vietnam, he was signed to the, an Air Force program called Project 621B. Now, this program was navigation-focused. It was a collaboration between Aerospace Corporation and the Air Force. This was sort of the, the seed corn for the global positioning system. Uh, now, this program was in the early stages of theoretical development. Nothing had been done in hardware yet. And at that time, the Pentagon was highly skeptical that a satellite-based navigation system could work. They believed that the accuracy would always be too poor to be of substantial value. There are a lot of problems to be solved, and the, and the Pentagon and the Air Force just thought this was just a crazy idea. <laughs> but he was convinced. He actually ultimately became the de facto manager of the program, and he became the evangelist for the program. So he started going to the Pentagon, briefing them, selling them, getting them to believe. He went to Congress because, you know, Congress likes to micromanage all yeah. of our big, you know, systems acquisition. He started briefing Congress, got them to believe. And because of his salesmanship in his, and he was almost an evangelist selling GPS, he managed to secure a funding stream for this program. In 1978, they had the first working prototype of the GPS system, and it was a successful launch. He, back, he basically nurtured it, got the funding on, got it to the point that it actually was successfully launched, and then it was transferred to a larger Navstar program. Now, when it went to the big Navstar program, uh, you know, Parkinson was going to have to go back to the Pentagon and be some administrator. And, and actually, he's a tech guy. He's a techie. Mm -hmm. He said, the heck with this administrative stuff back at the Pentagon. I've done what I want to do. I <laughs> launched the GPS. I, I proved the principle. I got it funded, and I got it transferred to Navstar. I'm out of here. He retired from the Air Force because he didn't want to do that administrative stuff. He spent a year teaching mechanical engineering at Colorado State University. Then he became VP of Space Systems Group at Rockwell, where he was involved with developing the space shuttle. Later, Parkinson joined Intermetrics as VP and helped take them public in 1982. In 84, he accepted a research position at Stanford. This is the, That's actually what he loved to do. He, he, he actually was a, a research guy, a techie guy. He didn't like all this administrative stuff, but he was an evangelist to get the funding for GPS. He's, um, he's on the board of many, many organizations, Trimble Navigation, EMS Technology, Navigation Tech Ventures. And now uh, that GPS has been sold and it's been deployed, it's become ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's all of our military uh, systems use GPS. It's in every cell phone. We, we use it for navigation. Yep. It's just it's everywhere. everywhere. So it was very successful. So he was 
one of the fathers, and you know, because he, he sort of nursed it through a critical stage when there was skepticism at the Pentagon. He's an avid skier, an avid snowshoer, and hiker, and sailor. And he uses GPS navigation when he sails. He would have to. That's good. So there you go. All you want to know about Bradford Parkinson, one of the fathers of the global positioning system. Hope you're paying attention because your knowledge can yield you free lunch at one of the Stratford dining rooms in the Washington area. We're going to play the pop quiz coming up. It's Saturday morning. This is Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2. You can watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for 2018. Classes start January 8th with career-focused IT degree programs to fit your busy schedule on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in one of today's most sought-after fields. With accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster. Register today at stratford.edu slash 2018. That's stratford.edu slash 2018, where you'll also find details on Stratford's limited-time $15,000 IT scholarship competition to help you achieve your degree goals. Get complete information now at stratford.edu slash 2018. Stratford University, changing lives one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Russ, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please sit down. Let's not make a mess here in the studio. Please, please sit down, yes. <laughs> make a mess. No popcorn, please. Put the popcorn away. We'll be getting There's no, trouble No here. eating in the studio. That's right. Of course, this is a classroom of the area. It's not simply a radio show. And Correct. we're going to test whether you have been listening, whether you have been diligent in your duty as audience of the radio show. And we're going to do that by giving you a pop quiz, which is how we major learning outcomes. If yes. you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get tickets to fine dining at one of our dining rooms, and you'll also get an A-plus for today's show. Earlier in today, I was talking about Bradford Parkinson, one of the fathers of the GPS system. Now, he was really interested in control systems, inertial guidance systems, and electrical, electrical control systems. He got his Ph.D. from Stanford, and then... The Air Force says, now we want you to really see how these control systems operate in practice. Where did they send him to get real-world practice with control systems? 
If you know the answer to today's question, now's the time to pick up your phone and give us a call. If you're calling from west of the Rockies, how's the weather? If you're calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, and you're tanned, rested, and ready, it's 877-936-9333. If you're triangulating your position in Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. And as always, the wildcard line is 877-936-39333. And if you're calling from a catamaran down in the Caribbean... Where you're using your GPS for navigation, you connect connect with us by Skype. Simply go to Tech Talk Radio 1, and your call will be forwarded to the studio free of charge. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, is standing by to take your call, so dial now. It's actually Kevin Stanfield today filling in. Yes. Is your mind on a catamaran? <laughs> is that why you mentioned that? It is. That's what I'm really want to get. This is the big debate, whether you know, get a sailboat or a motorboat, and I'm a sailboat guy. Yes. So, um, I know this about I got, you. I got my, that's what I'm dreaming about. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the EM drive. This is the electromagnetic wave drive uh, to power rocket ships. This this was touted as a way to eliminate fuel for deep space exploration. This was an idea that was championed by its inventor, Roger Shawyer. And he, EM uses microwaves trapped in a conical cavity to generate thrust. And then, mic, and then basically... Microwave photons, you know, go out the back, and it produces thrust, so they said. <laughs> now, in previous tests by NASA, they had Microsoft mic- microwaves bouncing off the walls of the engine, and it did produce a small force. And NASA said, well, maybe this thing is going to work. But physicists were skeptical because it violated conservation momentum. If you push a photon out the back... You know, you, you things. You know, forces have to cancel. You really cannot create force from nothing. And uh, so, the you know, physicists, this really can't be right. But you know, NASA made the measurements. So this was recently reevaluated by a group at Dresden, Dresden in Germany, it was led by Martin Tajmar. Now they presented their results at a recent uh, at the Space Propulsion Conference on on the 16th of May. Now, the team built their EM drive in the same dimensions as the one that NASA tested. They placed it in a vacuum chamber. Then they piped microwaves into the cavity and measured tiny movements with lasers. As in previous tests, they found it produced thrusts by pushing on the spring. But then they positioned the microwaves so they could not possibly produce thrust in the direction that it was pushing it. And the drives kept pushing in the same direction. Hmm. Then they, then they tried something else. They, they actually reduced the amplitude of the microwave waves, and they, the drive pushed this as just as hard in the same direction. So then the researchers thought maybe this device is interacting with the Earth's magnetic field, and the cables that bring power into the table are actually being pushed by the magnetic field of the Earth. So now they think that this actually is not a functional idea and that the physicists, the reason I bring this up, the physicists, were right. I was going to say you probably were pulling your hair out, saying That's this is right. never going to work. That's right. And so you know, and so um, I mean, NASA's got a little egg on their face because NASA said this thing actually is working. So there you go. Okay. The EM drive doesn't work after all. Okay, here we go. We're going to play the game now. Let's go to line one. I'm, I'm sorry, line two. This is Ken. This is the wild card line. This is Ken calling oh, okay. from somewhere in Maryland. Ken, good morning. How are you? 
Good morning. Good, good, good. Earlier, Ken. early in the show, I talked about Bradford Parkinson, of course, one of the fathers of the GPS system. He learned about control systems, and they said, "Well, son, we want you to find out the application of these systems in, in you know, in the real world. Where did they send in to test those systems?" Uh, Vietnam. That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> Ken, congratulations. Thank you for listening. And stand by. We're going to give you back to Kevin, and he'll take your information. Where in Maryland are you calling from, by the way? Laurel. Laurel. Very good. Well, thanks for listening to us and taking the time to, okay. to talk to us this Saturday morning. Hang on a second. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio. This is Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and on the web at federalnewsradio.com. You can also uh, go to stratford.edu, and you can uh, check out all of the programs at Stratford University there. Watch us do the program. By following us on Periscope at WFED Tech Talk is what you want to follow after you download the app to your device. We'll be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Amazon is banning shoppers who return too many items. Uh Amazon's flexible return policy may not be as risk-free as you think. The company began banning shoppers for violations that included returning items too often, and the users weren't told what they did wrong. Their accounts were just canceled. Now, Amazon boasts free and easy return for many of its items, which has pushed the brick-and-mortar stores to offer the same policy. But dozens of people started going to Twitter and Facebook to complain about Amazon closing their accounts without warning. I mean, one guy had purchased like 300 items, and he returned 37 so apparently returning yeah. 37 items when you purchase 300, that's a little bit more than 10% return. That was too much. So Is, they, is that the magic number? Is it 10%? They haven't. Amazon doesn't even admit it's a policy. People just show up and their, their accounts are closed. Wow. Without warning. Wow. That's why it's getting them so upset. Now, Amazon Prime members took the social media to share what th- their accounts that have been closed. Some are threatening a class action lawsuit. Amazon's return policy doesn't tell the customers that returning too many items can get you kicked out, but its conditions of use say that the company reserves the right to terminate accounts at its discretion. Now, Amazon made one response to all of this clatter. They said, if a customer believes we've made an error, we encourage them to contact us directly so we can review their account and take appropriate action. So I think you just should not order things indiscriminately. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't really return very much, but there was one time I was ordering something and I was trying to match the color and I ordered, it took me the fourth attempt to get the color correct because the color rendition in the, in the, uh, when I'd look at it on the computer, didn't match the color that actually was coming. It's, um, it can be, you know what? And, and there's so many different options to buy the same item. Yeah. And if you don't pay a whole lot of attention when you push the button, you might be getting something that you're not 
That's right. So so I did so I did have this spat of, of returning three items, but I order so much stuff. Fortunately, you, fortunately they didn't pull the plug on me after I did that. Do you find that you get a better price when you when you order things on Amazon than you would if you went to the website for the for the item, or is it basically the same? I, it's. Uh, or do I you even ch- do you even I, price check? I I I check and uh-huh. uh, now if. If you're ordering small things like you like you want to get you know like like a set of screws that you could go to you know go to the hardware store and get if you get them on Amazon you're going to pay a little Why bit more. Why would you do that? Do you do that? Do you order like little stuff like that? Yeah. Really? As opposed to going to Ace, your neighborhood hardware place? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, when I'm down at Northern Neck, I go to Ace. Uh-huh. But but see, here's here's what I like. I go onto Amazon and I need a particular size. Okay, a particular size. Right. It, if I go to Home Depot, I can't find anybody to talk to, and I'm going up and down and, and, and up and down these bins. And they have entire wall of bins. I've got and, all these bins, and I could spend an hour there. That's a very good point. And so I can actually go on Amazon, and I can do a search, and I can find it in literally, you know, 10 seconds. One time I did go to Ace, and I asked the guy for something that I needed. It was an electrical part that I needed. I was mm-hmm. doing something. And they were running all. They were going to the back, the storeroom, and and they were. You know, I was standing in the store for 15 minutes. They were searching everywhere. While I was standing in the store, I found the item on Amazon and I ordered <laughs> That's it. That's crazy. While I was in Ace, and then I told the guy to forget it. Okay, so little items like that, you're not going to save d- money. I, on. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, so those are a little bit more expensive. But on the other hand, it's the convenience is worth it. Mm-hmm. Now on big items, I I do think you know I kind of am aware of the price, and I think Amazon gives a reasonably good price on big stuff. Well, you know, here's an. I, my my daughter just had her 25th birthday, and she asked for a set of wireless headphones she can mm-hmm. use when she um, works out. It's, it's Dr. Dre's, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Two hundred bucks, and I'm like, oh my god, she's gonna lose them, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, I went on Amazon, one oh nine, brand wow. new in the box. So it was like fifty percent off. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good deal. They they do have good deals occasionally. Yeah, if you get their if you get their deals, you can get some really good deals. Samsung has been ordered to pay Apple five hundred and thirty nine million dollars. Now. The California jury ordered Samsung to pay this full amount as financial damages for copying the patented design and utility features of the original iPhone. Apple wanted $1 billion. Samsung only wanted to pay $28 million, and the, the jury sort of split the difference, $533 million, for design, uh, for design, patent design infringement. The jury said Amazon owes Apple an additional $5.3 million for infringement of utility patents. Apple was due financial damages from the from its South Korean rival. It was really not an issue because they'd won that in, in they'd won the court case already. It was just a matter of how much the settlement would be. Steve Jobs has got to be really happy because he said he was going to wage nuclear war against <laughs> Samsung when he filed all of these patents. And finally, they did win. Now, the, the patents are, are actually over phones that were sold more than five years ago. Really? Yeah. And Samsung doesn't even sell those phones anymore. Hmm. DOJ is looking at cryptocurrency manipulation. Department of Justice and the Commodity Future Trading Commission have banded together to look at criminal activity. Do you remember when when Bitcoin was like spiking up really high and then it was dropping? That was a pump and dump scheme. Mm-hmm. There were guys were pumping up the price and then they were dumping it and it was dropping. It's it. almost like a microcosm of what happens on Wall Street. Isn't it, it is. It is. But it, it seems more violent, more it's, volatile. It, it's a very the thing is the 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 cryptocurrency market is basically controlled just by a few big players. 
and so it's easily manipulated. So investigations are looking at all forms of illegal activities that affect market price, including pump and dump schemes. You know, pump and dump, that means that you pump, you, you say good things about it to pump up the price, and then when the price goes up, you sell off, which is dump, pump and dump. And that's uh, that, that price manipulation, that's illegal on Wall Street, mm-hmm. and it's also illegal to do with cryptocurrencies. Also, spoofing and wash trading. Earlier this year, they, uh, they announced a reward program for whistleblowers who would report pump and dump schemes. So they've probably got some whistleblowers who've turned, who's given them some information. They ask users to make tips about any suspicious activity, and the rewards are between 10 and 30% wow. of any catch above a million dollars. So they're, are you they're paid in crypto coins? They're, uh, they're, <laughs> they're, I mean, these, these are big rewards. The yeah. pump and dump schemes are rampant in the crypto community. The schemes are often organized by private groups created especially for this purpose, like the admin of Telegram, of one of the Telegram groups that have thousands of members. They announce to their members a specific time to pump it. And then a specific time to dump it. So they organize it over thousands of users, and they do the pump and dump. And there's just too many people involved. These guys are going to get caught. Yeah. You know, AI is just changing the world, and it's changing the whole marketplace. And there are certain skills that are always going to be in demand. Uh, and if you want to stay employed, you're going to want to make certain that you've got the skills that are always going to be in demand. The McKinsey Global Institute looked at the three core groups of the the three core skills that workers need if they want to remain employed. Now, we already know that AI and automation are going to kill physical labor jobs as well as low-skilled jobs like assembly line work or any kind of job that has basic basic cognitive skills such as cashiers or data entry clerks. Those are all going to be handled by AI. But there are going to be some things that actually are not going to be taken by AI. These are these are skill sets that have higher cognitive skills that include advanced literacy, writing, quantitative and statistical skills, critical thinking, complex information processing. These skills are tapped by doctors, accountants, research analysts, writers, and editors. You see that you notice here they put writers and editors here because the guy writing it's a writer and editor. Mm-hmm. He says, well yeah my job's not going to be not going to be going. <laughs> I've never seen writers and editors here. So those kind well, of skills, tech, crit- but not creative. Yeah, these kind of skills, high cognitive skills, critical thinking, complex information processing, very important. So you wanted to you want to hone those skills. We actually built our curriculum around developing comp- you know critical thinking skills uh, there at Stratford. Social and emotional skills are incredibly important in the world. This includes advanced communication, negotiation skills, empathy, continuous learning, the ability to manage others, adaptability. Jobs such as business development, programming, emergency response, and counseling all draw on these kind of skills. Emotional intelligence and social skills, very important. The final one, technology skills. Everything from advanced IT skills, data analysis, engineering, and research all translate to finding a future and lucrative job. Think statisticians, software developers, engineers, robotics experts, scientific researchers. There you go. So those are three skill areas that are going to be around for a while, even if we have AI. Take a break. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Federal News Radio and Tech Talk on 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2. Watch us do the show. Download the Periscope app to your device and follow us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. 
ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for 2018. Classes start January 8th with career-focused IT degree programs to fit your busy schedule on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in one of today's most sought-after fields. With accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster. Register today at stratford.edu slash 2018. That's stratford.edu slash 2018, where you'll also find details on Stratford's limited-time $15,000 IT scholarship competition to help you achieve your degree goals. Get complete information now at stratford.edu slash 2018. Stratford University, changing lives one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now, mining software is becoming a bigger and bigger problem. You know, crypto mining, it's where you, you basically validate the blockchain, and you're re, and if you're the first one to validate the blockchain, you're awarded with cryptocurrency. It could be a Bitcoin or something. And the more validations you do, the more money you earn. And so it turns out that hackers have figured out, why don't we steal the CPU, the processing time of unwitting people, use their computer to do our blockchain calculations, and we'll get the money, and they'll provide the computing power. And so the software that puts this crypto mining software on your computer and steals your processing power is called mining malware. Now, on May 14th, the Israeli cybersecurity firm Checkpoint released the latest global threat index. For the fifth consecutive month, it found that CoinHive... Crypto miner is the most prevalent mining malware in the world, the most prevalent malware in the world of all categories, and it affects 16% of organizations globally. So there's huge penetration there with CoinHive. Not only does CoinHive, which is a JavaScript malware designed to mine Monero, which is, a, which is another cryptocurrency, occupy the, hot, the top spot, but the second place in terms of the most prevalent malware was held by crypto loot another stealthy indetectable miner coinhive and crypto loot are gaining footholds in it systems hackers are using basic vulnerabilities such as unpatched bugs in windows server 2003 and an oracle web web logic 46% of the organizations that checkpoint surveyed have been attacked in april as a result of vulnerabilities in the Windows Server 2003 vulnerability, and 40% have been hit because of the Oracle web logic flaw. Mining consumes CPU and bandwidth that actually doesn't harm the host machine other than just, other than just it doesn't d- damage any of the data. It just basically, uh, the, the machines just tend to work slower, and they display a higher-than-usual CPU and power and bandwidth. So the companies, you know, really haven't been worried about it because it doesn't affect them. It just uses CPU power. And so it's been gaining headway through these unpatched systems. Given that the mining malware generally poses little risk in the way of an urgent risk, it's likely that this will continue to grow in the near future. We are going to see more and more hackers using crypto mining as a way to make money. 
Okay, you know, uh, let me talk about how AI is affecting the fashion industry. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, I actually hate to shop. I hate. To, I, I I don't like to order clothes online. I don't really. Like, I don't like to go to stores and buy clothes. It just it's like it's like pulling teeth. If I I'll just go and just when I finally have to go shopping for clothes, I'll go buy a few and then I'll be done. But there's, for the decade. For the decade. But there is a, so so I have to buy, you know, styles that are gonna be around for a while. So I can like I, sixty years. Yeah, I can't I can't you know, I can't buy something that's just gonna be only good for a year. Uh, but there is now a new shopping method that is actually even appealing to me. It's called Stitch Fix. Really? Stitch Fix. It was established in two thousand and one in San Francisco, and it's disrupting the fashion retail industry. What it does it uses artificial intelligence. It, get in, it gets input from the customer and from human stylists, and it creates clothing selections for you. What? Okay, so what actually happens is that they um, they basically, if you sign up for Stitch Fit, you you fill out a kind of a questionnaire about yourself. They know your size, your weight, and and the kind of activities that you do. Whether you go to parties, whether you go, go to work, you have a new job, you. You might tell them, "I just got married." Work uh, in a coal mine. Yeah, work in a coal mine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it also turns out it, 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 they 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 have another thing there. You tell them you just got a divorce because then you got to have more party clothes. So uh, and so and cheaper ones and cheaper ones. So so you fill out this thing and they use AI and they they've got a lot of and, and so they have a lot of other customers who might have a similar situation to yours and they'll send you every month clothes and then you pick out the clothes and then the ones you don't like you to ship back the ones right. that you keep you you mark and so then what happens is over time they know the clothes that you keep and the clothes that you send back and so the ai better tunes itself you see and so over time they start sending you a better and better match to the kind of clothes that you like which is actually pretty interesting. And so then mm-hmm. you can you can just then you, you just I just keep them updated on your weight so they can tell how you expand and contract. Right. And then <laughs> they'll just keep sending you clothes every month. And and the better they are at guessing what you want, the more money they make. Then what they do is they is that the AI then gets all of this data on the kind of clothes features that are selling. And then the AI creates new new styles, which are hybrids of the of the ones that have been sold. And then they'll suggest these hybrids to the uh, to real stylists, who will then come up with actually new designs that are based on what customers want. Now, the stylists actually make the final selection of your clothes. So the AI sort of hones down the list and says, "Well, this customer, we think he's going to like these." seven or eight items, and then the stylist, who's your personal shopper, picks out of the seven or eight items which three that they'll send to you. And over time, it gets better and better and better. In addition, the the, the AI manages the inventory, manages when things are going to be made, and so it gets to be a better and better system. And I, I'm actually thinking, if I had somebody who would just send me the clothes and, they, and, I, and this, the, the kind of clothes that I liked... I'm telling you, I, I, I would go for that. I think we need to have a Stratford University Tech Talk fashion show after you get on Stitch Fitch as you bring in all of your clothes and yeah, I, I have stand a, in front of the Periscope camera and, 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 just, and, and just, just, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. So I'm telling you, I'm thinking of signing up for Stitch Fit, and I'm just, and I'm, you know, I, well, you know I'm not a fashion plate, Jim, but uh, but I just, I just want something your, that's easy. Your style is timeless. My style is timeless. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> That's another thing. Your t- your style is locked in the past. <laughs> Look, I'm the same way. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not faulting you. Now, Jack Dorsey, the the CEO of Twitter, does not have a laptop. What? He does not have a laptop. He does everything from his phone. The CEO of Twitter just said he doesn't want a laptop. And when he uses his phone, he turns off all the notifications and he works on one app at a time. That way he can focus on what's in front of him instead of on everything that's coming in. He actually became quite an expert on mindfulness. And he discovered that distractions and multitasking eliminate his ability to be mindful and his ability to focus. Now, instead of a keyboard, Dorsey just Dorsey just dictates and uses voice typing tools on his cell phone. He says this is extremely efficient. Now, he said the problem with the laptop, is, and so that he feels that just restricting himself to his phone, it allows him to manage his work-life balance. He feels that devices consume all your time. You're always looking at yeah. your phone, then you check your computer. You've got all these notifications coming in, which constantly distract you. And he feels that that limits your ability to be effective. For instance, he does not check his phone in the morning until he walks into the office at work. And then he checks his phone with all the emails. So he doesn't do that at home because he doesn't want to destroy his work-life balance. And when he checks his phone, he turns off the notification so he's not bothered by, you know, notifications uh, as you know that, that are not relevant to the email checking. Now, he does this thing when meetings. When he has meetings at work, phones have to be off and laptops closed. The team just talks without any electronic devices. And he said instead of the meeting lasting an hour, it lasts 10 minutes of focused discussion, and then they move on. Dorsey believes in mindfulness and awareness, and he does it day in and day out. That's good. That is really a quite a good thing. Have you ever heard of the General Data Protection and Regulation Act? GPS? I have not. It came out. This is the EU just implemented this. It came out last week. They, if you you have to get permission from EU citizens to collect their data. You have to let them see what you're collecting. You have to make it easier for them to shift their data to other firms. And if you don't follow those rules, you're subject to fines that are as high as twenty three million dollars. Wow. So you'll no- notice a lot more notifications coming out as companies are trying to get on board. Some companies just blocking EU folks. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.